0: Hey girls, I am so excited to personally invite you to this year's Calvary Sisterhood Conference happening November 11th and 12th. I honestly love the Sisterhood Conference. I love the gathering. I love the laughter. I love the life change, the encounter, the presence of God, the friendships. I just love worshiping the Lord alongside such amazing, authentic, world-changing women. And this year, we want to extend that invitation to you to join us, to set some time aside and invest in you and who God has called you to be. Our conference this year is being called Healed. We're about to take a deep dive into a topic that's honestly necessary, but often avoided. And we're choosing to be courageous enough to preach God's truth about being whole, living from your wholeness, choosing to live in health, and refusing to stay broken, fractured, or even invisible. So I encourage you today to take a step of faith to grab your family, friends, sisters, and join us for an impactful time in the presence of God together. We'll see you there. We are so excited about Sisterhood Conference, so you just need to register. You just need to do that. (laughs) We're looking forward to it. All right. Well, how many of you are excited to be in church this morning? Yes. Praise God. God is so good. Can you do me a favor real quick let's just put our hands up can we just put our hands up real quick and we're just going to pray before we get into the word this morning father in the name of jesus we just come we thank you holy spirit that you are here that you are in our midst god you've already been moving you've already been healing You've already been restoring you've been ministering you've been touching you've been doing so many things so father as we get ready to dive into your word lord we thank you that your word is living it's active it changes us we put our faith in your word so that means we are expectant that we when we hear your word it will change us from the inside out so we're believing for transformation god speak to us Yes, speak to our neighbor, but speak to us. Do something in me today, all of us individually. Change us. We don't want to walk out of here the same way we came in. We don't want to play church as normal. God, we want to do things your way. We want to participate in your ways of doing things. Open our hearts. We want to know you. We want to know your word. We want to hear from you you god have free reign in our lives and we hold nothing back in jesus name amen amen praise the lord all right well we are continuing a conversation that we started a few weeks back uh, with our series called discovering the kingdom and so i'm going to continue in that series this morning and as we do that we're going to start talking about kingdom culture Kingdom culture. As we dive into the kingdom of God, how many of you know that the kingdom of God has a culture? Amen? I just want to help define what the word culture is. The word culture means this. It is the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group. It is a set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. All of us belong to certain cultural beliefs uh, patterns, traditions. We may have cultural traditions based on our family of origin, of our upbringing, our culture. Many of you know that I proudly shout from the rooftops that I am Cuban. I love being Cuban. I love being Hispanic. I love the cultural traditions, especially at Christmas time. And the Cuban food is amazing. Can I get an amen? Yes. I mean, you can you can celebrate your own ethnicity and moods. <laughs> But there's many things, and that's not bad to have those things, right? It's not bad, those are, part, those are things that make us unique and that's what makes us so awesome coming together because we all have so many differences and heaven is gonna be so full of so many unique backgrounds and ethnicities, amen? It's gonna be fabulous. But I wanna encourage you today as we dive into kingdom culture is that there really there is a culture that trumps all culture. There's a culture that trumps all culture. The kingdom of God has a culture. And so if our personal culture, our ethnicity, our beliefs, things that we've been raised to do, to expect ways to react, whatever it is, if our personal culture does not line up with kingdom culture, then we're left at a crossroads. And then maybe, just maybe, our culture has to, well, not maybe, but our culture then, we have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to align with kingdom culture or maybe ways that we've always done it? So we're left with that but then we're also left with the understanding that it's our job to discover, to kind of like go on a treasure hunt, to find out what kingdom culture really is like so we can understand, so that we can participate, so that we can participate in the kingdom of God, amen? God's ways of doing things, how God set things up. It's exciting to learn about kingdom culture because that's really the culture that we belong to, amen? That's who we, God is our father. He was our, he's our creator. He's who we came from. And so this is our heritage. This is what we come from. So let's find out what our culture is like and begin to live that way. Amen? So today as we dive into culture, we're going to talk a little bit about kingdom culture. We are a culture of generosity. Amen. We are a culture of generosity. But before we dive into that, I have this little chair out here because... I wanted let's see if I can get up here now it moves so let's see if it stays put for me otherwise you can all laugh okay (laughs) looks I'm gonna turn here we go if I if I start talking and I start moving all the way around this will be fun oh gosh here we go Um, but I wanted to sit and just kind of have a little bit of kind of like a family chat can we do that can we just be relaxed and have just a little bit of a conversation because I felt like it was very important as we dive into this conversation, talking about kingdom culture, that we are a culture of generosity. I know there's a lot of different people in the room. That when we talk about it, there's a lot of different mindsets, different thoughts. That could be a trigger for some of us in this room. It can bring up a whole bunch of different things, but there's two mindsets in particular that I want to talk about quickly in a family chat. The first, I wanna ask the question, how many of you have a favorite underdog movie? Anybody? How many of you love a good underdog story? You can raise your hand. How many of you love a good underdog story? What, I, I started remembering and going down memory lane on underdog stories this past week. Um, how many of you know Cool Runnings? Anybody? Fans of Cool Runnings in the place? house? I love that movie. Uh, I think Rocky, Rocky fans in the place? Yes, Rudy, Rudy was one. I think there was like Miracle, all kinds of these amazing underdog stories. Um, But there's one that I wanna bring us to and it's a story, it's probably one of the most famous underdog stories of all time uh, and it's a Bible story. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Oh, look at that, I got a reaction out of that one. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. David and Goliath. Okay. So an underdog, let me, let me get this right because I want to make sure I read you the absolute, there, there's actually like a definition of what an underdog is. Can you believe that? An underdog is the loser or the predicted loser in a struggle based on perceived abilities, strengths, or resources. Right? So obviously, when we look at the story of David and Goliath, we're talking about David and Goliath, and, we're, and, and we realize that who, who's, who's the underdog in the David and Goliath story? Okay, everybody said David. Well, and when you look at David, right? King, David, he wasn't king yet. He was very short in comparison to Goliath. Goliath was quite large, right? Um, Goliath had all these military training. David has just been fighting lions and bears. He, hasn't been, he doesn't even have armor, right? Goliath had all the armor. David didn't really have any of that. But you know what's interesting? Look, I keep turning around here. I'm going to go to First Samuel. Well, I probably don't know. I don't have that one marked in here. But if you open up the story of David and Goliath, there is something that I actually want to read to you as we dive into this. You open up the story of David and Goliath, and David has been out tending sheep And he comes to bring his brother's lunch, and he's looking at the Israelites, scared on the sidelines. And he's looking, and he sees Goliath, and Goliath's taunting the Israelites. And David starts asking some questions like, why aren't we fighting them? All these different things. And he goes to the king, and he's like, put me in. I want to fight Goliath. And it's interesting to me because David's response was this. He says, who is this pagan Philistine, speaking of Goliath, anyway, that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? He's looking at him. He's like, this is the armies of the living God. Like, who is this guy talking to God's children like this? And then as David gets ready to run out onto the field to attack Goliath, he says this. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and then I will give you, will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. So I wanna propose to you that even though from the outside David may have looked like the underdog, I wanna ask the question, was David really the underdog? He was never the underdog. David was never the underdog and I want to propose to you that you are never the underdog. You're never the underdog. You say, Pastor Maria, what in the world does this have to do with kingdom culture and talking about generosity? Because, my friend, if you view yourself as somebody who is the underdog, which means that you, it doesn't matter what labels other, I mean, we're not talking about the labels that other people have put on you. I'm talking to the way that you view yourself. If you view yourself as the one who is less than, who is lacking, who is the perceived loser, that they don't qualify, you walk around all day long like that, then you're not going to be able to listen or to receive the message that we're about to dive into talking about generosity because you're going to think that we're talking about somebody else being able to be generous and not you. You are not the underdog. You are a child of the Most High God. You are His Son you are his daughter, you are an heir to the throne, you have his resources, and you are lacking nothing. So when the Bible begins to talk about, you can clap, you can clap, it's okay. <laughs> when, when the Bible, this is why I, I, want, I want you to hear me. When the Bible begins to talk about being generous, and as we begin to talk and dive into these scriptures, It's not for somebody else's sake. It's for you and me. It's for all of us. So can we lay aside that mentality that surely God's talking to somebody else because I don't have the ability to be generous. I am the underdog in this situation. This they're not talking about me. Can we decide for a minute to lay that hopefully forever but can we lay that mentality aside and look at scripture open, ready to receive what God's about to say to us? Because he is talking to us, all of us. Amen? You receive that? You're not the underdog. And the second mindset that I wanna to talk to you feels a little bit like an elephant to me in the room because I am not unaware That there are so many times that when a pastor, leader, preacher, or church begins to have the conversation about finances or have the conversation about generosity, that there are triggers in the room because it's been abused, right? We've all seen it. We've all experienced moments where churches have done that or pastors or leaders have broken trust. And there's two things that I want to say to that in this room. One, and I'm deciding how I, which way I want to say it, but two things. One, as a pastor and a leader, as somebody who is ordained minister, I have to answer to God for my actions, but I also have to answer to God for what I preach. And if there are biblical principles in the Word of God that work, it is my responsibility to preach the Word of God. Whether it has been abused or not, I have that responsibility, and I will have to answer to God for whether or not I have spoken that Word and taught His people what He wants to be taught. And if you are somebody who has been hurt, who has seen that, and you have a really hard time, I understand, but I encourage you to open your heart to these principles for your sake. And if it's too difficult to start the process of giving to a church, then can I lovingly say, don't give here, but give somewhere. Just start the process. Don't give here so that you can trust what I'm about to say and hear what I'm about to say. Can we do that? So open your heart to biblical truth because it works. Has it been abused? Yes. Have people been hurt? Yes. Have people done it wrong? Yes. But would you open your heart and then be obedient to what God tells you to do. And again, let me say it again. If it's difficult to do here, then just obey and do it somewhere else. Amen? Okay. So you're not the underdog. Amen? But biblical truth is real, and there's a reason God has it in his word, and it's for our sake. Amen? All right. We have a good little family chat? Okay. All right. So now, we're going to get into the Word of God. Amen? So as we talk about culture, there's so—my goodness, the Word of God talks about giving so much. There's so many different scriptures that talk about it, and I just want to highlight a few scriptures here, um, just to give you a sampling, so you can open your heart. Some of you are very familiar with these, but— I know that there's many people in the room that maybe aren't so familiar with how much the Word of God talks about giving and some of the different things that the Bible says. So I want to just start with some of the scriptures. The first one is this, and most of them will be on the screen so you can follow along. Uh, The first one is this, John 3, 16. Now the notes are not on, on the app today because of the little glitch that we're having. So I apologize, they'll come up later. So if you want to jot things down, I encourage you to get a pen and a notebook um, because it's beautiful. We have a love-hate relationship with technology. Can I get an amen? Yeah, so it's not there right now, but we'll get them up later as soon as we can do that. But I definitely encourage you to write it down. John 3.16 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He, what? Gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, the king of our kingdom is a giver, and he gave everything. He gave what cost him everything, amen, for us. He started this generosity. He started the giving. Can I get an amen? Our king started the giving, amen? Luke 6, 38 says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Wait, let's read that one more time. Give and you will receive. Wait, we don't like to talk about that in church, but yet that's a scripture in the Bible right? Your gift will return to you, fully pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So now I'm realizing Bible's talking about this, but he's also saying, listen, give, it's going to come back to you, right? We're going to get into some other scriptures that are going to talk about seed time, harvest time, giving, but this is in the Bible too. Giving is linked to the harvest that we receive in life. It really is. Some of us may not like that, but there it is. All right. Acts 20, verse 35, second half of the verse. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I thought the verse we just read talked about receiving. We did. But look, this scripture is telling us that our heartbeat is about giving, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive, which means if it's more blessed to give than receive, then my life should be about giving and being generous. This is a philosophy of life. This is a philosophy of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. This is, this is part of our kingdom culture, that it is more blessed to give than receive, which means, I'm coming down, but I'm pausing because I have heels on, okay. Which means, if it's our kingdom philosophy, if it's kingdom culture, if it is more blessed to give than receive, then our mindset may have to shift away from being somebody who's the underdog, looking for resource to come to them, and switch to be somebody who's one that's a giver, first and foremost, because it's more blessed to give than receive. Amen? Okay, now I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Philippians 4.19 says this, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to have been given to us in Christ Jesus let me say it again you need to hear this this is your bible your bible says this And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. That means God's gonna take care of you, amen? He said he's going to take care of you. Do you know that? That God said he's gonna supply all of your needs. Some of us need to hear that again, coupled in light of all these scriptures. This is your Bible, this is what God is saying. He's He's going to supply all of our needs. He's got the resources to do it. He's going to supply all of your needs. Proverbs three, verses nine through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and my note says cats, but I'm pretty sure your vats is what it's supposed to say. <laughs> your vats will overflow with good wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. You may say, I don't have a lot of wealth, but honor the Lord with what you have, with your best. That sounds like the tithe, doesn't it? That sounds like giving God first place. He has authority, he has a, his ability to talk to me about anything in my life. Honor the Lord with my wealth. And with the best part of everything I produce, and then he does say, he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. That sounds like a promise that he's going to give back. But you can't outgive God. Amen. First Timothy six ten. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I hear a lot of people, it's almost like you can hear conversations, well, Pastor Moore, you're talking about money, but money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Which means when we idolize money, when it becomes our focus, when it becomes more important to us than God, when God can no longer direct us on what to do with our money, it begins to take take. Ownership of us, and then bad things begin to happen. Right? It begins to consume us. It begins to begin our focus, and our focus is no longer on kingdom stuff. And so we start to not honor God with it. Amen. When we money, money is just an inanimate thing. It, it it's trade. It's used for commerce. It's used for economy. Right? It's a tool. Money is a tool. So it's when we fall in love with that. Just like when we can I can I propose to you that food is a tool for our bodies. However, sometimes some of us which none of us will name any names right begin to have a over consuming love affair with food and it begins to harm us because we abuse what that food was meant to do for us and it begins to hurt us the same is true with money you don't have to be scared of money you should have to have a proper perspective of money that money can be used for godly things it can be a good thing but when it consumes us and gets out of him that's when bad things begin to happen Amen? I know some religious circles, there's been a fear put in us, but we're scared of money. But can I tell you that God uses money he uses money to bring. Res- we just talked about convoy of hope. He uses money to bring restoration. He uses money to bring healing. He uses money to get the gospel out around the world. We can't be scared of it, but we have to be good at it. We have to know how to honor God with it. We have to be able to make sure that it's in proper place. The kingdom of God has to know how to use money well and to be generous and to know how to operate in godly principles with it. Or the kingdom of God isn't going to be advanced. If this if the children of God are not the best ones at knowing how to operate in finances, who's going to do it? The kingdom of God is not going to advance. So we have to stop being afraid of it and honor God with it. Amen? And put it in proper perspective. Amen? All right. No more fear of it. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you when I seek first the kingdom of God, again, there's the proper perspective. And then when you go back and read where all these scriptures have come out of in, 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 in their passages, you understand that God's trying to tell us, listen, he's gonna take care of all the things that concern us. You just be about your father's business. You just be about seeking first the kingdom of God. You just be about doing what the kingdom of God, kingdom, discovering the kingdom, be about doing what God's called you to do. He's gonna take care of the rest, amen? Acts 3 6 but Peter said I don't have any silver or gold for you but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene get up and walk part of a generous culture this is Peter praying for a a beggar at the gate, the city gate, and he's asking for money, and Peter says, I don't have any cash on me, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. It's a spirit of generosity. If you're not generous, you're not looking for ways to give. You're not looking for ways to help. If you're not generous, you're locked, you're closed-minded, right? You're just seeing yourself. You don't see what you have. You don't see resources that you do have, but when you live a life of generosity, you see the resources that you do have and that you do carry. You begin to understand ways that you can help. And even if they didn't have actual finances in their hand at the moment, they were like, well, we can do this. Let me pray for you. Rise up and walk. And now you know what? Now you don't need to beg anymore because you're going to go make your own money because the beggar got up and walked and was healed and whole. Amen. And they were able to be, but what would happen if he would have been fearful, just focused on himself and not seeing where God was having him so or how would God was going to have him be generous? Or to even stop and pay attention? Malachi 3.10 Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, he says. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Jesus. Say it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, then all nations will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He talks to us about tithing. He talks to us about the promise of taking care of us, the favor that's on our lives when we partner with him and do things God's way. It's right there in the word of God. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to this next one. Those were just some of the scriptures that we can get an understanding that the Bible definitely talks to us about finances, that the conversation is there, that he doesn't, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't shy away from the conversation of money, but he wants us to have a healthy understanding about it because there's so many scriptures and what I shared is just, just, just a, a minuscule amount of how many times the Bible talks about being generous and giving But there's an interesting passage that I just couldn't get away from. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you. This isn't going to be on the screen, and I did that on purpose because I want you to see this one. So if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up your, your Bibles. So Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's getting ready to come together. And in this setting, the Corinthian church is getting ready to prepare an offering, a gift. And so Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthian church is doing this the right way. And he says in verse three, I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I've been telling them and that your money is all collected. I don't wanna be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all, I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift. Not one given grudgingly. So now as we dive into this, we're going to see Paul is about to help establish culture for the Corinthian church. He's going to teach them. It's not just about giving something, but here's our culture. This is how God looks at it. So if we have to shift our thinking from just plunking and offering or getting a gift together and going on, this is our culture. This is our way of doing and looking at things, the rest of this, okay? So he's establishing culture. He's teaching them. This is how it works. Verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Well, first thing I want you to notice is in this, he's establishing culture. What does he do? He gives them an analogy of a farmer. So then that means then when I'm giving, I'm gonna look at it this way too. That means if I'm getting a gift together, then this is kingdom culture. So remember this, a farmer, this is something I'm gonna have in the forefront of my mind. We understand? A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Okay, I can understand that. I understand that if a farmer goes out and plants a field, if he only plants a couple seeds. You know, in the Midwest we live, there's a lot of corn, corn fields everywhere. So there's only a little bit of seed in the ground. There wasn't going to be a whole lot of corn stalks. But if the, if the farmer had gone out and done all of his work ahead of time and planted tons of seeds, then at harvest time, there's all these crops. Coming up, and, and when the crop was when the when corn stalks were ready, I man, you could drive down the country roads, and it was like taller than your car, <laughs> both sides. It was corn mazes. It was crazy. Verse seven: You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Okay, so it doesn't mean that somebody tells you, right? That means that I have to decide individually, right? So between me and God. And don't, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Whoa. So God even tells us how to do this in a healthy way. Amen? He tells us. Don't give into pressure. This is between you and God. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Well, because if I'm giving under pressure, how many of you are excited about it? None of us. And God will generously provide all you need. There it is again. We keep coming across it in all those scriptures. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So Paul's telling the Corinthians, you're getting a gift together, right? He's telling you like when you plant sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you plant generously, you're going to reap generously. But he's also saying like when you don't give out of pressure or begrudgingly, when you give cheerfully, God's going to generously provide everything you need. Wow, so that's part of the culture. And then you will always have everything you need and what? Plenty left over to share with others. That sounds like a surplus mentality. That sounds like an abundance mentality. That sounds like it's not a lack. I'm not living from a lack mentality. That means that when I tap into the kingdom of God, that I can expect, I can believe God for the times where I can have plenty to share with other people. Amen? That I can live above, because when we don't have enough, right? Listen, if we don't learn these principles, if we don't have enough for us, we can't bless other people. We can't help other people. We can't advance the kingdom of God, right? So. I love this. and you always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Now listen to this, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. Whoa. So God gives you seed. Well, in this analogy, this seed is the gift that the Corinthian church was getting ready to give. So what they were getting ready to offer, the substance in their hand, was their seed that God had given them. Oh, that's getting exciting. And that God had put that in their hand. And then he's the one that provides the bread to eat. In the same way, he will, it's pretty definitive, provide, but there's a little word, and, increase your resources, and then, wait, I just want to pause there. He will provide your resources, but there's also this little word, and, what's the next word? Increase your resources. He will provide and increase your resources. Remember, he's the one who gave you the seed, and he's going to, when we begin to, when we sow it, he will provide and he will increase our resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Well, that's because the more generous you are, the more generous you are, right? Because as we sow and God blesses and he produces a harvest in our own lives, now I have more, I can continue to sow. It's not something you just do one time to get an answer. This is a lifestyle. This is kingdom mentality. This is constantly, this is how we live our lives. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one, we don't just sow one time. This is, our, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is how we live our life in the kingdom of God. We're generous. We sow. We get the seed that God brings into our hand and we plant it. That's just what we do. That's our culture. This is our culture. We are givers. We sow and we look at the th- the, what's in our hand as seed. It's not just a, a, It's listen, oh gosh, I'm so excited. Listen, what's in our hand, we don't look at it as it's just this thing, piece of money, and when I sow it, it's gone. Because when you plant a seed, what happens? It grows and produces a harvest, but what does every living thing have in it when it produces a harvest? More what? More seed. Every plant, when you plant a seed and and it begins to grow, there is more seed inside of that plant that has just grown. So it just perpetuates, and it multiplies. The kingdom of God is about multiplication. When I plant a seed, and, I put, and there's a harvest, there's more seeds. And I can take them, and I can continue to be generous. I can, this is, this is who we are. Which means, I don't live in fear, I don't live in lack, I don't have the underdog mentality that I don't have enough. God will start with whatever is in your hand. It's not the size of the seed, it's the seed. Yes, you, verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. He's telling the Corinthians this. This is one gift they're getting ready to put together. This is, he's telling them, this is the culture. This is how we do this. This is who you are. And because you're giving this one gift, but obviously this isn't the only gift, but you're going to be enriched in every way by giving, right? So that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, this is very fun, they will thank God. Hot dog. So, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. So, what you do, isn't it fun to be generous? We sow, it's a ministry. It's a ministry. The needs of the believer, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. He's talking to the Corinthians. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So God uses our seed in our hand to meet a need somewhere else. They glorify God, but God uses it to bring a harvest into our lives as well. That's powerful, that's powerful. Listen, you can't, so many, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, all right. <laughs> Go to 1 Kings, I need to read you the story. Chapter 17, and we're gonna start with verse seven. This is the story of Elijah going to talk to a widow. Elijah was being fed by the ravens, being taken care of, and the brook that he was by dried up. And God sent him to go talk to a widow at Zarephath. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now hold up, a widow to feed you. God could have pulled the richest person in the city or in the village, but he talked to a widow to feed him. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Now hold up a second. Let's picture that this story was taking place modern day. And let's say a minister was on his way and the Lord said, I've instructed a widow to go and, or just anybody, any kingdom, any person, right? But let's just say that the Lord spoke to him and said, I've instructed this widow to feed you. And he goes and she's like, okay, you know, I only have enough. I'm going to make one meal and my son and I are going to die. How do you think that would be received in this day and age? I kind of see a news media extravaganza. How dare you take this poor widow's last meal for yourself? You are so selfish, you are horrible, you're misusing, you're abusing this person. And if we were honest, some of us in the room kind of feel the same thing towards Elijah. Like, what are you doing? But look what happens, because we can see the end of the story, but they didn't know all of the end of the story, right, when you're living in it. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. Don't be afraid. I know where you're at. Go ahead and make it, do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised Elijah. I love this story and it's been going around in my heart so much over the last week because so many of us would have a tendency to see ourselves again in that place of like, this is all I have. But God knew right where she was. He knew this is all she had. But what did he ask her for? He asked her what she had. And he asked her to invest it into the kingdom. And he brought her breakthrough. God did not ask permission of her situations and circumstances before he asked for the seed. He didn't wait. So many of us, listen. So many of us say, God, I'll be a giver I'll be generous when? When my bank account has this. When this, this, and this are paid. And again, there's balancing statements. Listen, we have to be, we're wise. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't do things he doesn't tell us to do. Okay? But so many of us say, God, well, I'll tithe when? Or I'll give when? Or when this is taken care of? But, and we're... But there's a mindset shift for us to understand that what we have in our hand is not just a limited resource, but it is a seed. That when planted, when God asks for the seed, when planted, it will produce a harvest and a breakthrough in our life. Sometimes Sometimes there are those of us in the room, and I'm guilty of all of it too, right? I've been there too, where I'm praying, God, bring me a breakthrough. God, I need a breakthrough. And I stop looking at what I have to give because I'm so hungry looking for the breakthrough that's gonna come in. But could it be that God's answering my prayer because he's the one that provides seed to the sower? And could it be that that very thing, like just like the widow, that the thing that's in my hand is the very answer to prayer because he's going to take that, he's going to multiply it, and he's going to bring breakthrough into my life. But when I forget the kingdom culture, when I forget the way that God, that this, this is how this works, this is the system that I'm a part of, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, when I forget that, i've forgotten my seed the very thing that god's put in my hand to help bring me breakthrough there's something in my hand right god wants to help bring breakthrough but because of fear and i get it listen i really get it and i know that i know that the the times and seasons that this message is coming out, but this is the time and season that it has to come out. I know there's inflation. I know this is what is happening in the stock market, but this is the time that we, as the body of Christ, need to know this message and to hear it. This isn't the time that we pull back. This is the time that we unlock spiritual principles and we begin to be givers. And we are generous. And we put that seed in the ground and we begin to believe God for a harvest and we begin to believe God for breakthrough and we don't view ourselves as the ones who are in lack, as the underdog. We begin to refuse that mentality and we switch it. It takes intentionality to switch that and to view yourself as the one who's generous because again, we're just generous. It doesn't matter the size of your bank account. That's not for somebody else who has more money to be the generous one, that's for all of us. God will use whatever he's put inside of your hand. He starts with just like the widow. Amen? God asked her to sow it into the kingdom. He asked her to trust and to give it with spiritual, supernatural eyes. We must be keenly aware of what the Lord is asking for. Again, that goes back to the 2 Corinthians verse where you don't give out a pressure or compulsion or because somebody else told you to. It's between you and the Lord. So there's wisdom in that. When God asks for seed, it always has dual purpose. It's not to send you home and die because now you have nothing. It's to plant your seed and to use it to bring you out of this culture into kingdom culture. Maybe one question to ask the Lord when you have something in your hand is to say this, God, is this my provision or is this seed? God, is this provision or is this seed? When something comes into your hand, God, is this provision or is this seed? What do you want me to do with it? Amen? So in a few minutes, we're going to do something different that we've not done here before. So we're going to kind of change things up just a little bit here at the end. I'm gonna pray, but I want to give people an opportunity to give their lives to the Lord. So rather than standing, we're gonna do this from our seats. We've talked a lot today about kingdom culture that we're a culture of generosity. And the first scripture we said was John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loves you and he's the, he's the one who started this generosity generous kingdom and so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the lord or maybe you have at one point and you've kind of walked away from him we want to give you an opportunity to make things right to make him lord of your life to give your life to the lord before you leave this morning so while everybody's seated with every head bowed and every eye closed the bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and the wages of sin is death which means we need a savior and God sent his son, Jesus, to be that savior for us. So even if you're watching online or you're here in the room, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and you'd like to say, hey, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time or it's been a while and I need to recommit my life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're at. We're not going to call you forward. We're going to pray with you right at your seat. We'll all pray together. But we don't want to miss an opportunity for that to happen. So if that's you and you say, I wanna, I wanna give my life to the Lord on the count of three, you can just raise your hand and we'll pray. One, two, three. Go ahead and put your hands up. There's a hand there. I see one hand, two hands. I'm looking, I don't wanna miss anybody. Praise God. Okay, praise the Lord. There's two hands. Praise the Lord. Can we just celebrate those two? And if I miss you, but well, we're going to pray together, and then in just a second, I'll ask you to stand because we're going to do something special together here in just a minute. But would you just all pray with, pray with those two, and then anybody who, who's at home, pray with us. Just repeat this prayer after me. And The prayer itself isn't magic. It's you just meaning it from your heart. Say, dear Father, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I know that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Make me new, wash away the sin, be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate that this morning?